Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to be over at Psalm 63, uh, kicking off a new series today, uh, and uh, I've entitled it, um, wrong way, upside down, there we go, Pray for a Change. Now, depending on how you read that, might give you some indication of maybe where I'm going with that. You can say, pray for a change. Let's pray for a change. Let's pray for God to do something. Or for you, it might just be, you need to pray for a change, right? So it can be taken either way. It was meant to, meant to be that way. And uh, so we're digging into the Lord's Prayer in uh, Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to just break down the phrases and then we are going to figure out what they mean. And then we're going to jump into another place in Scripture where we see that type of prayer. So that we can kind of elaborate on it, how, it, how we actually do that. And today we're going to be looking at Hallowed Be Your Name. So um, there was a few guys, Joe, Bob, and Dave, were hiking in the wilderness. And they came to a large raging, violent river, and they needed to get to the other side, but they had no idea how to do it. So Joe prayed to God saying, please God, give me the strength to cross the river. Poof. God gave him big arms and strong legs. And he swam across that river. And it took a couple of hours, and he almost went under it a few places, but he made it across. And so Dave, seeing this, said, please, God, give me the strength and the tools to cross that river. Poof, there was a rowboat. And he rowed across that river. It only took him about an hour. And the boat almost tipped a few times, but he made it across. And so Bob had seen how the two had worked out. So he prayed, God, please give me the strength and the tools and the intelligence to cross the river. Poof, God made him a woman. And she read the map and she took the bridge that was just a hundred yards up river and safely crossed. You know, I, I think that joke kind of illustrates a lot about how we think of prayer. We think of prayer too often is the last minute cry for God to rescue us out of a problem. We expect that answer to prayer always to be some miraculous thing. And sometimes we simply forget to pray for the simple guidance that God tells us to pray for and seek him. So coming up, we have a prayer meeting that is starting tonight. Uh, Four o'clock. We were trying to make it before dinner. We made this earlier in the year before it was going to be 100 degrees. And it's a different type of prayer meeting. In the past, especially in Baptist churches, we get together and we list all the things that we want to pray for. And 90% of those things that we pray for are what? People who are sick illnesses, people who are having surgeries. And what we are essentially praying for is comfort for people around us or ourselves. 
This time of prayer, we are flipping that. And what we are specifically praying for is discomfort. We are praying that God would show us as a church how we might build inroads into the community for the purpose of sharing Christ. That's uncomfortable. We are praying for ways that we can live out the kingdom of God on the corner here of 2nd and Lincoln. So we're praying for discomfort. And that's what we're going to be doing. And I invite you to join us. Uh, Just one more time, just by announcement. uh, If you missed earlier, we are going to two services on August 9th. We can have as many as 50 people, as long as I wear a mask. And... um, So 9 and 11, sign up, you call through me, and um, we will still have the online. Some of you still are uncomfortable being out in crowds. That is okay. There will still be a live stream. It'll be the first service at 9 a.m. All right. So pray for a change. Hallowed be your name. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start actually in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have, been, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, you may, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others, Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, not if you pray, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Today we're going to focus on this phrase, hallowed be your name. And we're going to look at what does it mean? Why does it matter? And then how do we do it? Or how do we pray it? So first of all, what does it mean? And as we look at this, one way to kind of think about what it means might be to look at other translations. 
It's not very helpful here because an overwhelming number of the translations use the word hallowed. And can we just say hallowed is not a word outside the Lord's Prayer that you probably use this week. Um, It's just, it's old English. Uh, It's just not something that that rolls off the tongue for most of us. Um, And so here's some other translations. Uh, The Christian Standard Bible says, your your name be honored as holy. Um, Contemporary English version, uh, help us to honor your name. There kind of gets to the heart of what we're talking about here. As we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying, help us to honor your name. Uh, Good news translation, may your name be kept holy. And then uh, the Darby Bible translation says, let your name be sanctified. Uh, Sanctified, also not a word that we use very often, but if we look at the Greek, uh, hallowed is usually translated, uh, this Greek word is usually translated as sanctified. And it means to make, render, or declare sacred. So that's what what that means, to, to make, to render, or to declare sacred. When we look at the focus, that is, when we look at what it is that we are supposed to hallow it, the focus is on the name of God. Hallowed be your name. Now, let's just pause for a second here. When we say that, picture this. This is Jesus, right? Part of the Trinity, And he is teaching us and the disciples how to pray. And he says, start start like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, growing up, mostly in church circles, when I think of keeping God's name holy, I think about the Old Testament Ten Commandments, right? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. And what that meant growing up is that there was a list of swear words. I don't know how many were on the list. Probably, oh, I don't know, 15 or 20, depending on your circle, right? These were words that you could not say, lest your mom or grandmother wash your mouth out with soap or worse. But then there was a couple of those words that you really shouldn't say. You really shouldn't say these because this takes the, the name of the Lord in vain. Those swear words were extra bad. I guess God washed your mouth out with soap. I don't know how that worked. It's more than that. When we talk about the name of the Lord, it includes a title. It includes the person of God. It includes his character, his authority, his reputation. So to declare the person of God, it means to declare the person of God, the character of God, the authority of God as holy or set apart, sacred. And it reminds us of the creation account where we are created in God's image. We're image bearers of God. And so we bear his, not his likeness physically, But as his creation, we are supposed to bear his likeness of character, his way of rule, his his laws. 
I was reading a book uh, this week um, on a leadership by Juan Sanchez. And he bases the leadership in this idea of being created in the image of God. And he says this, as God's image then, we were created to reflect God's sovereign rule over creation. Listen to that. As God's image, we were created to reflect God's sovereign rule over creation. Represent God's loving care over those under us and reproduce godly offspring until the whole earth was filled with the glory of God. So when we pray, God, hallowed be your name. It's not just this name, Jesus, or God that is not to be used in vain. It's the character and authority and reputation and person of God that we want to see set apart. It also helps to look at the context a little bit, and that's why I read uh, verses 1 through 8 here. He starts off with this giving to the needy and practicing our righteousness before other people. Think about that. Uh, he gives the example of giving money and, and blowing a trumpet. What happened was when rich people went into the temple and they were giving their money, there would be certain bowls around or offering plates or whatever you want to call it, and th there would be a little pomp and circumstance. And they would go to put their money in and somebody would blow a little horn. So that everybody would look over there and see what they're doing. And I guarantee if you wanted people to see, you held that there until the trumpet was blown. And then you dropped it in and gave a little wave like you just sunk a 20-foot putt. Okay, look, it, it, that, what is that giving? It's, it's a show. And, and God here... Jesus contrasts that type of worship. That's not my image. And so the context is this. Prayer is not so people rec recognize your position. Prayer is not so people go, oh, wow, that person is really godly. Now, I've been a pastor for a number of years. And I don't know how many times I've asked somebody to pray and their answer is no, because they don't feel like they are, what? Eloquent enough. Folks, praying is never supposed to be a performance. This isn't a show. It's not to rate who is the most godly by the way the words flow off their lips. And then also, prayer is not a magic potion. Here's a verse that is, I think, kind of overemphasized and taken out of context sometimes. He says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So, no repetition in prayer. It's not exactly what Jesus is saying here. When Gentiles prayed, their gods were different than God. Their gods, little g, often had to be woken up. They had to be enticed, aroused, motivated to, to work. They, they, had to, they had to entice them to act. And so Jesus just reminds them here, says, God already knows what you need. <laughs> 
Okay? And not only does he know, but how God is different than these false gods is that he's already listening. So, summing this up a little bit. When we pray, hallowed be your name, what, is it, what does it mean? It might sound something like this. Father, may your person, your identity, your character, your reputation, your very being always be honored. May your character be honored in my church. May your identity be honored in my life. May your reputation be upheld in the way that I work. May the person of Jesus Christ be known in my community. That sounds a little bit more in depth than hallowed be your name, doesn't it? See, there's a lot in that. So why does it matter? Let me put a few things into perspective here. We are talking to God. Let's not forget that. We are talking to God. Prayer, in its simplest form, is simply talking to God. But can you just pause for a minute? Most of you have grown up in the church. But yeah, I know that, Dave. Move on. Think about it for a second. The creator of the universe, the one who gave life to everything, the one who sustains everything currently, the world, your life, everything around you are talking to them. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're speaking to them. It doesn't go to a message board. There's not somebody up there writing it down so that God will get it when he has time. When I pray and you pray at the same time and hundreds of millions of other people pray, God hears you specifically. You are talking to God. And he asks you to address him as father. Our father, it, this is how you pray to God, Jesus says. He doesn't say, pray to my father. He says that we are to pray our father. I want you to address the creator of the universe as dad. Sometimes in my Christian life, I, I, there's things I want to pray for. And I think to myself, well, I can't ask God for that. That seems a little too trivial to talk to God about. Now, I just want to say as a dad of three, I have learned that there isn't anything my kids won't at least try to ask me for. At any time and in any way, every time my phone dings, I kind of roll my eyes before I even read it. Who knows what the next ridiculous request is going to be? The answer is no, let me think about it. Nope, no. I get to address God as Father. One of the verses that I've been uh, meditating on quite a bit, I believe it's in 1 Peter chapter 5, 
where it talks about casting all your worries and cares on God. Have you guys, you've heard that one? I, I'm misquoting it a little bit. And I get that because I have worries. I have cares. Okay, I'm supposed to, ca- I'm supposed to trust God with it. But do you know what the next phrase says? Because he cares for you. I don't, I I was meditating on this verse for weeks until one day that phrase just hit me like a ton of bricks. Wait a second. God cares for me. And we need to recognize, yes, we're talking to the God of the universe, but he asks us to approach him like he's dad. Incredible thought. Those of you who went through the relational elder training, uh, we talked a little bit about this idea of living in the radical middle, and it's kind of an interesting concept. In one sense, the Bible teaches that God is transcendent. That's the orange uh, thing on the overhead there. He is transcendent. What does transcendent mean? It means that he is high and above all things. God is seated on the throne in heaven, up high. He is high and lifted up. God is, he's over everything. He is transcendent. But he is also imminent. Now, this word here, it was interesting, we had some discussion about whether this word was spelled right, and usually I'm wrong, but this time I am correct. It is from the word imminence, and it means, it means that God is at the same time upholding everything, and he is present with his creation. He is high, but he is here. He is over all things, and he is sustaining every little thing. And so we live in the radical middle of that. So we approach, we're speaking to God, but we get to address him as father. Now, the other things there, we're not going into that, but God is one, and then he's also, right, Trinitarian. And so we've got this, another uh, pull there that we live in the middle of. So why does it matter? It matters because it keeps everything in perspective, When I say, hallowed be your name, I am remembering that God is transcendent, but I am praying to him as my father, so I am remembering that he is here and present, and he cares for me. So this prayer starts, our father who art in heaven, man, God, father, help me in this tension to keep you in the right place which is his king and father. Now, sometimes my prayers do turn into little kid prayers. Oh, God, help me. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. And that's okay. But I need to continue to recognize also that he is king, that he is God, that he is over all things. So how do we pray this? Hallowed be your name. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Psalm 63, and uh, we'll look at a sample prayer here. It doesn't exactly use the word hallowed, but it helps us. 
So I apologize. I know the rules. You're not supposed to touch the mask, but it keeps covering my eyes and it's hard to see the words. Psalm 63. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judea. Now, let me just pause for a moment so we can put this Psalm in perspective. There's two times that this phrase is used of David. One, when he's hiding from Saul, who's trying to kill him. And the second time, late in his reign, when he is hiding from Absalom, his son, who is trying to kill him. We believe this is the later one. And we believe that, if you want to poke down at verse um, 11, the last verse, but the king shall rejoice in God. He refers to himself as king here. Uh, when he was hiding from Saul, although he had been anointed, he was not officially the king. He did not take that title after Saul's death. And so it seems to most commentators, I would agree, that this is later in David's life. Think about this. When he is running from his son who is trying to overthrow his throne. So just put that prayer in perspective there. Psalm 63. Okay, Psalm of David. Lost my place. Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judea. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I shall sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt from the mouths of, li the mouths of liars will be stopped. This prayer definitely puts God in his place and David in his dependence upon God. I think it's a good example of a, of a prayer that seeks to hollow, honor the name of God. So how do we hollow God's name when we pray? First, we seek him. Um, he says, for you are my God, I earnestly seek you. When we seek God, we approach him relationally. Now, it's, it's really quick here, and you read over it. You've got to slow down. But he prays this. Oh, God, you are my God. He puts a relational connection in there. It's personal for David. And so when we seek God, we approach him relationally. 
it's different for you and I. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, God, right? And Father. Man, it's so personal. And we, we lean into that relationship. How do we get there? Just the idea that you and I can pray to the God of the universe only happens when we recognize that we are sinners separated from God. Sin separates us from God. Faith in Jesus brings us back into relationship with God. And we are adopted into his family, not because of anything that we have done, but because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So understand, just simply the idea to say, our Father in heaven, that is a gift that happens through the work of Jesus Christ, the gospel. So we approach him relationally. Second, we understand our need for God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. What do you hear there? God, I need you. And let me just say this. I didn't love them when it happened. I loved my kids, but there was these incidents that would happen when my girls turned 16. They each did it. And I would be at home, and I would be in my comfy clothes, and I would be relaxed, and the phone would ring, and I would pick it up, and each of them said in their own way, Dad, I left the lights on. And I would have to go jumpstart a car at Portland, at PCC, at Hales. Where was the other one? Oh, at a uh, hospital parking lots. Yeah, it, jumper cables were a regular part of being a dad. And I was annoyed, okay, a little bit. But you know what? I was also honored. It was kind of fun that my kids, who thought they were grown up, needed me. You know what? It honors God when you say, I can't do this on my own. It recognizes his place. So understand your need for God and then grow in your knowledge of God. Uh, he says here in, in verse 2, he says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Notice, beholding your power and beauty. How does David know his, God's power and beauty? He's, he's looked at it. He's studied it. Look at verse 6. When I remember you upon my bed. What does that take? That takes some knowledge of who God is. Uh, Timothy Keller, on, on this idea of praying, hallowed be your name, he said the number one thing in in hallowing God was first of all knowledge. In order to hallow God, you had to know who he was. And so I, I don't disagree with Tim, Timothy Keller. Those of you who know me know that I, I, I love me some Timothy Keller sermons and books, but I'm saying that seeking here is the same idea, that we are seeking God relationally to understand who he is. So part of hallowing is seeking him, understanding who he is, putting our, our, our request, our need before him. And the second thing is behold him. 
behold him. Now that's also not a phrase that we use very often. We see it here in verse two. So I have looked upon, some translations behold, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Let me just say a minute here. Let's put this in context. Uh, David says sanctuary. Think about what do you think of when you hear sanctuary? Um, Probably a temple-like building. The temple wasn't built at this point. Okay, that comes later. His son Solomon builds the first temple. So when David says sanctuary, what is he thinking about? Well, all there was at best is the old wilderness tent thing reconstructed. Um, Probably at this time, the the, uh, Ark of the Covenant was there in Jerusalem, but it wasn't much of a temple. He says, I've beheld you in the sanctuary. Well, hold on a second. That has to be past tense there because David is in the wilderness. So if it's present tense, if he's beholding God, he's not doing it in the sanctuary because he's been run out of town. You know, sanctuary has another meaning in the Psalms. Sanctuary can also just be God's creation. The world is his sanctuary. It's all his. And you know, there's something about when you are going through difficult times, when you are uh, feeling uh, oppressed, when you are feeling depressed, when you are feeling the weight of the world, sometimes you just need to get out of Dodge a little bit, go to the ocean, go up on the mountain, behold the stars, and you just go, oh, wait a second. I am really, really small. God is really, really big. Sometimes we just need to behold his creation and put ourselves in the right place. So behold him in his sanctuary. Um, So we might do that by um, um, looking at it in creation, as I just said. Uh, He says also in verse 3, he says, because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will, will praise you. So we behold it. We also, uh, when we think of his steadfast love, that's something that we've experienced. If you're a child of God, you've experienced his love, his mercy, his grace. So one way we behold it is we see it as creation. Another way we experience it personally uh, another way, verse six, right? I, I meditate. Um, I remember upon my bed. And so here we're thinking about the different works of God in the past. When we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, when we read those stories, we, we look at what God has done in the past. And we go, wow, God has done some mighty things. And then he says again in verse six, when I remember you upon your bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Verse seven, for you have been my help in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. We, we think about his character, his steadfast love, his, his mercy. We, we focus on, that's how we behold God. And, and here's the trick of hallowed be your name. When you are feeling overwhelmed, there's a moment in where we need to put God back in the rightful position as God and say, there's nothing he can't do and there's no problem he can't overcome and this is not that big of a deal. Sure, it feels that way. 
But God has got this. So we behold him. We seek him, we behold him, and then we need to express praise to him. Uh, because of your steadfast love is better than life, uh, with my lips, I will praise you. Uh, lips are mentioned twice here. Um, so we have to express the praise. All oh, my little notes came up. Sorry about that. Uh, don't jump ahead there. So uh, we do it with our lips and then even with our hands. Oh, this is so hard for Baptists. Man, I don't, I, what do we do with this? Uh, he says here, in verse 4, he says, So I bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And Baptists say, figuratively, not literally. Why do we lift up our hands? Look, lifting up our hands, we've said this before, there's so many symbols here. It's a sign of surrender. As a little kid, it's a sign of lift me up, it's a sign of worship. And so it is okay, even in Baptist churches, to lift your hands. You know, it's been hard. I grew up, you know, you didn't raise your hand in church unless you had a question. And even then, you probably shouldn't do it. And so I remember when I first, you know, started, you know, getting a little bit Pentecostal at Baptist church, it might look like something like this. You know, you're worshiping and you, you start swaying a little bit, you know. Uh-oh. Not supposed to do that. It's almost dancing. And so my hand lift might look something like this. Nobody can see me. It's still waist high. We're okay. It's okay to express ourselves. We uh, bless God in there. And that's always a phrase. We've talked about this before. I don't have time to go into this. He says um, there in those verses, because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips. So I will bless you. He says, wow, how can I bless God? Uh, God is blessed when we or his creation represents his character and power, right? That's back to Hallowed. God is blessed when we declare his character and power. That's, that is Hallowed. That is how God is blessed. So we do it with our lips. We do it with our hands. Verse 6, we do it with our minds. We express praise to him when I remember you. Come on, some of you are getting to that age. When you walk into a room and you remember something, you say, hallelujah. You might even lift your hand on that one. Look, when we remember God, when we, when we remember to put him in his place, that we express worship in that way. We do it with our heart. In verse 7, uh, for you have been my help in the shadow of your wings. I will sing for joy. That's a heart issue. It's, it's overflowing. And then he says, my soul will cling to you. We, we, we express it with our soul. And I mean it, your soul. I, I remember one time I, I took a, a bunch of kids many, many years ago, many, many pounds ago. We went rock climbing. And man, there's nothing like taking junior high and high school kids rock climbing. I'll just tell you a few things about it. It's very humbling. And I am convinced girls' bodies actually do, they're, they're more, they're just wired. They're actually better rock climbers than guys. And part of it is because girls use balance and different things, and guys just try to muscle everything. They get up on the rock and say, I'm just going to pull myself up with my hands because I'm so strong. So all these kids were rock climbing just right up the mountain. Your turn, Pastor Dave. 
So I start climbing this thing and I am shaking and I am just, and I got to the top. And this is what I experienced when I got to the top. I didn't realize in all the heavy, how dry my mouth had become. I didn't notice it until I was done. And I got up there, there was no more moisture in my head. And my everything, my, my tongue was clinging to the roof of my mouth. And the water, I just poured it over me at first, like try to get some liquid in there. And that's the picture here. My soul is just clinging to you out of need, putting you in that position. And then finally, rest in him. Rest in him. He says in verse 5, my soul, listen, in context, David is running from his son who is trying to kill him. They escaped at night. They went across the Kidron Valley. There's just a few of them, most of them older, people that had fought with David back in the day. There's a very small army against a huge army. And the story says, David got his people together and obviously left some of his wives, and just the whole thing, crossed the Kidron Valley. And he, what's he do when he gets there? He goes to bed, tired. It seems like a time where you're losing some sleep here. And so David here says, again, verse, verse six, he says, when I remember you upon my bed, meditate you in the watches of the night. Verse five, my soul is satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you. I mean, talk about just total trust in God's character. David knows that God has promised that his, his name, his kingdom will endure. And then at the end, David has these prayers that we're a little uncomfortable with. He says in verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. In the end, David is just trusting in God's promises. He's not saying anything that God hasn't already said to him and promised him. So when life is hard, we hallowed God by seeking him, by beholding him, thinking about who he really is expressing praise to him and resting in him regardless of the outcome. So here's some application and action for this week. Obviously, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. Many of you have memorized it. And so first of all is just pray through the Lord's Prayer. And um, I'm going to ask you to do that a couple of different ways. Um, first of all, you know, we just read those verses, don't repeat things, repetition, and then we take the Lord's Prayer and we just kind of cite it. Um, I, I think that this was, uh, I think this is to be used two ways. One, I think it's just a model of how to pray, how to think through prayer. But there are times when I just don't know how to pray. I'll be honest with you. And there are times when my stress level gets high. And this, this has become a passage that is a comfort to me. Sometimes when I'm just stressed out, when I just, things are just, some of you, you don't experience this. You're just relaxed all the time. But those of you who know that get a little bit anxious sometimes, 
man, this is just really helpful for me to close my eyes and say, my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. In some translations, and deliver me from the evil one. Man, that, that, that just sometimes, and sometimes I say it more than once, I repeat it, I'll confess it. It's just a prayer to just focus. So it's a model, and sometimes it's just a prayer when we don't know how to pray. So pray through the Lord's Prayer. Second, use the Lord's Prayer then as a template. Hallowed be your name. Now we've, we've, we've fleshed that out a little bit. God, hallowed be your name. Stop. God, help me to honor your name today. God, help me to be your image bearer today. God, help me to think about ways that I can lift up the name of God in action and words as a dad, as a mom. How do I hallowed your name today, God? So use the prayer as a template. And then so for this week, focus this week seeking God's name, his character, his reputation. For you, for your family, for your church. What it means for you to hallow God's name and what it means for the church to hallow God's name might be different, right? So think through that. So use this prayer, uh, pray through it, use it as a template, and focus this week on hallowing God's name. We hope to see you at four o'clock for our, our prayer walk and or sit, depending on who you are. Uh, let's pray. God, we do pray that your name would be hallowed. We pray that you would be lifted up. We pray that you would be honored. God, we pray that we would just pause and think and, and focus on who you are and what you've done. God, that we would seek you. There are some who are listening today, Lord, who, who have maybe prayed their whole life. They probably know the Lord's Prayer by heart. They've recited it in church. But they have not yet actually made you their father. They have not bowed their knee and declared you as king. In other words, they've prayed to God, but they have not made it personal. And so God, I pray that you would move in the hearts of those individuals, that they would bow their heads, they would confess their sins, and they would call on you for forgiveness, that they would place their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, that they would begin this day to follow you so that we can all together pray our Father in heaven. God, help us to see as a church how we can set apart your name, how we can sanctify your name in Hillsboro how we can have an impact here on this downtown corridor. Help us to see how you are moving us and guiding us as a church for your glory. God, I, I pray in the midst of strife in our country over trivial things like masks and over serious things like racism, that we would put you 
in the proper place as God and Father. And we would submit all to you that we would love God, love our neighbor, and make disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.